Today's scripture is going to come from Ruth, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, through Ruth 2, um, chapter 2, verse 23. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before? The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull, pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epa of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Um, As we're going to get started in our passage this morning, uh, pretty much all of Ruth 2, 
Um, We pick up from where we started last week in our series, Redeeming Ruth, and we uh, pick up chapter 2, whereas last week, um, Ruth and Naomi, we find out, um, become widowed, and it was in that situation that Naomi then becomes uh, bitter uh, because of her situation, because she um, thinks that when Uh, Times are good, God is good, but when times are bad, God is bad. And we understand that she has a misunderstanding of who God is. Um, So this morning we come to a place where Naomi and Ruth are in a situation where Naomi has uh, become bitter. She wants to be called Mara, which actually means bitter. She's become bitter, and Ruth has forsaken the false gods of her land and moved with Um, Naomi back to Bethlehem from Moab. That's where we are this morning. They have moved from Moab back to Bethlehem. But before we get going, let's look, let's picture what we actually have going on. We have two women who've trekked from one land uh, to another. They've lost so much. They've lost the um, the one person in their life that matters most, and as their spouse, they've lost both of their spouses, and they've lost any real sense of hope. Um, they are helpless, they don't have jobs, they are in need, and they have nowhere to turn. And I could look at uh, many of you this morning and think maybe, possibly, you're in that same situation. You walk into this place this morning, and whatever it is that is burning you down has you feeling like there is nowhere that you can turn. Maybe it's a marriage that is on the verge of breaking up. Maybe it is a child who is rebelling, and you think, God, where, where, what's going to happen to them? Maybe it's a financial situation in your life, and you are walking into this place this morning in need of hope and in need of help. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see that there is some good news that comes from this text that provides us for a real hope that we look for. So it picks up in chapter 1, verse 22. It says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, returned with her. In this passage, we see that Ruth is called the Moabite several times, and it is because of something we're going to find out in just a few minutes, um, that she's a Moabite, and that's not something you would necessarily want to be. So they're they're returning back to Bethlehem just in time for the barley harvest. Um, Bethlehem is actually uh, known as the house of bread, and they're returning back just in time for uh, the barley harvest, which you have barley to make bread. So we get there, and uh, Ruth and Naomi have trekked from Moab back to Bethlehem, and they do the first thing that any of us want to do after we've had a long road trip. They look for a restaurant. You know, they want to eat. I don't know if you do that, but when Whitney and I, when we um, plan a place to go, or when I used to go with my parents somewhere, um, my parents or, or Whitney, they, they will, they'll plan like what's fun to do, you know, or what's, uh, what, 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 where can we go shop and all those kind of things. And I'm like, look, I could care less about any of that. What are the good restaurants in town? 
town. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to know where is good to eat. And I'm often told, look, this is not a vacation for food. And I'm like, actually, yes, it is. That's what you go on vacation to do. You know, you might diet all year long, and that one week you gain it all back. That's the whole point of vacation. But they have been traveling for a good while now, and they come to a place um, where they are hungry and they want some food. But the problem is there is no restaurant. Uh, There is no place for them to eat, so Ruth says, I'm going to go glean, uh, which just means pick up after those people who have already harvested. She's going to go glean after Boaz's harvesters. The thing is, though, up until this point in the story, you just heard it read, but up until this point in the story, we actually, Boaz is just introduced in verse 1. So it's kind of like throwing a curveball. It's kind of like that point in the movie whenever you're watching one and like you're, you're tracking along with everything that's going on. All of a sudden, they just throw you this curveball, and you're like, whoa, what just happened? You know, like this movie was going, I was understanding it, and now all of a sudden, I don't understand anything. That's what kind of happens whenever Boaz gets thrown in the picture. We see about, we see, we know who Ruth is, we know who Naomi is, and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, the, the writer says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And then it just picks back up. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, and it just picks back up with the story. It's just like, why did you throw that in? But we'll get to that um, about halfway through our story. So she realizes, hey, I need to go pick some barley so that we can make some bread to eat. So she goes um, to the field, and she decides to start, you know, gleaning for barley. The thing is, though, she doesn't just um, walk to a field that she knows happens to belong to Boaz because she doesn't know who Boaz is yet. But she walks on this field, and it says she happened to come to this field. It says she happened to come to this field. Now, understand this. Whenever in the original language in Hebrew, when it says she happened to come to this field, that tells the hearer, hang on a second. She doesn't doesn't just happen to show up like this is something that's going on right here, and we'll see that it is. She doesn't just all of a sudden decide to walk up to this field, and it happens to be Boaz as God is working. But she walks up to this field, and she starts gleaning from the part of the field that belongs to Boaz. Now, unlike maybe the way we do it today, the way they did it back then is you didn't own just one field, and then, like, you go across the road, and then somebody owns another field. That's not how this worked. Maybe there was one field. Picture the field out uh, out back here. There is one field, and it's not one owner of that whole entire field. You may own a third of it, and I may own a third of it, and somebody else may own a third of it, and it's separated by these boundaries, which are just rocks. So she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. And then all of a sudden, what happens after that? Boaz happens to show up. He just happened to show up after Ruth happened onto the field. And I'm using happen a lot. She happened to show up at the time that Boaz was going to show up. And he inquires, Boaz is like, who is this woman? Who is this woman that's gleaning? And his, his, the foreman of his crew says, uh, yes, yeah, she's Ruth the Moabite. She, um, she came back with Naomi from Moab, and she's, she said she's going to glean here uh, to get some food to take back with her and her mother-in-law. But Boaz walks up to her and says, let me tell you something, Ruth. Uh, make sure that you don't go to any other part of the field. You stay in mine. Uh, I've charged my young men. They're not going to touch you. They're not going to bother you. They're not going to do anything to you. You stay with my young women and glean all of the barley that you want. Before we go on in this passage, I want us to realize something. 
Ruth didn't just happen to walk up onto this field. Boaz didn't just happen to show up when she was there. God was providentially working in that entire situation. God was working in this entire situation. There's been a famine in this land, and these women are helpless, and they're hopeless, and they just happen to show up to the one person who will be willing to take care of them. God's working in this entire situation. It's no coincidence that this happens. Maybe for some of you, you, you think that you happened to come in here this morning. You think that you just walked in, and you know, because somebody invited you. But no, God intends to meet with you this morning to show you it doesn't matter what it is that's burning you down. It doesn't matter what it is that is bothering you. God is working in your situation for his glory and for your good. God is working in whatever situation you are facing right now for his glory and for your good. By the end of this story, we'll realize that Boaz is a picture of God to us, and we are like Ruth, a foreigner in a land that doesn't belong to us. But she doesn't just happen to show up. God is working in this situation. And whatever it is that you're facing this morning, God is working in that. He's going to use that for his glory and for your good. So she shows up. Boaz says, look, you glean from my field. Don't go to another part of the field. You stay in mine. I've charged my young men. They will not mess with you. You stay with my young women. So Boaz is protecting her. Boaz is uh, providing security for her. And then he says something else. He says, hey, um, whenever you get thirsty, you go get some water that the men have drawn. Now, to us, that's like, that's cool, that's good. Go drink some water the men have drawn. To, to Boaz's people, he, they would have been like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Go get some water? You're telling Ruth, a Moabite woman, to go get some water that men have drawn? Why is that a big deal? That's a big deal because in that culture, um, foreigners drew water for um, the Israelites. And then Israelite women drew water for the men. But Boaz takes it a step and says, no, I don't care about any of this social class. Uh, Ruth, you go get water anytime you want it, and it doesn't matter who's drawn it. Even get the water that the men have drawn. And what makes this a big deal is that she's a Moabite. So uh, what, where is the history of, of, of the Moabites? You remember Lot in Genesis 19, Abraham's nephew. Uh, he is living in Sodom. A very, very, very sinful city. And Abraham has been interceding. He's been praying for, uh, for that city because God is going to destroy it. And Abraham's like, God, if there is even just one righteous person in that city, will you keep from destroying it? And God says, yes. So he takes, uh, God sends his angels. He sends two angels into Sodom. And they come into the city. They go into Lot's home. They have some difficulty, and they escape that night. And God has charged Lot and his wife, look, when you are on your way out of Sodom, do not look back at the city. Because if you look back toward the city, you're showing your affection toward a very, very sinful city. So they're walking out of the city, and what does Lot's wife do? She turns around and looks, and all of a sudden, boom, she turns into a pillar of salt. Now, that would be a great, great story to tell your grandkids. The problem is Lot has no grandkids. He's got two daughters, but now they've moved to a, to a little town called Zoar, and there's no men to be found. So how in the world are they going to carry on Lot's uh, line and give, give lots some descendants if there are no men around. That's what the daughters are realizing. So what do they do? They say, they come up with a plan. The oldest daughter looks at the youngest and says, hey, um, tonight we're going to get our father drunk and then I 
the oldest daughter, I'm going to go in there and sleep with my father. Because maybe then I get pregnant. Well, th- that happens. The, the, the second night, same thing happens. They get lot drunk. The youngest daughter goes in and sleeps with her father. Come to find out, both women get pregnant, and the first daughter has a son, and he's named Moab. So Ruth walks up onto this field of Boaz, and everybody knows, notice that they keep calling her a Moabite. Everybody knows that she's a Moabite. So everybody knows that Ruth's lineage is from a, Ruth's lineage is from a people who lived in Sodom, loved the city so much that they would turn around and look at it, but God destroyed it because of its sinfulness. Ruth's ancestors uh, had, no, had, had no men, so they slept with their father so that they could have a child, and that's where Ruth comes from. That's not exactly the report you're looking for on Ancestry.com. You know, when you go click on that, you're like, no, I wanted something better than this. But that's Ruth's lineage. She comes from a people who come from this uh, woman who slept with her father. All of Israel knows this, even Boaz. But Boaz doesn't look at her and say, You're a Moabite, and you're a woman, therefore get out of my sight. He says, no. He says, come to my field and take whatever it is that you need, because I will take care of you. I don't care if you're called one of those people. Boaz is breaking all the rules here. He says, I don't care about your ancestral identity. I will take care of you. Boaz is looking beyond her failure, and he is providing for her basic needs. Reminds me of uh, Jesus in John 4 when, when uh, he shows up to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, a woman who is a half-breed and who has had five husbands, and the man she's with now is not even her husband, and, and nobody wants to be around her. Nobody wants to be associated with her. So she goes to get water in the middle of the day, and guess who shows up? Jesus. He doesn't care about the stereotypes. He doesn't care about what people call her. He wants to point out her sin, but then he also wants to show her that even he will accept her when nobody else will. Some of us need to understand, some of you need to know this this morning, that your failure is not your identity. Your failure, what you've done in life that makes you think that you are a failure is not who you are. Boaz looks at Ruth and says, I don't care if you're a Moabite. I don't care if you're somebody that nobody wants. I will accept you. I will provide for you. I will give you hope that nobody else can. And Jesus does the same thing for us. He does the very same thing for us. Uh, uh, Ruth didn't do anything to deserve Boaz's favor. Yet uh, uh, Boaz had heard, you know, that she's doing some good things for her uh, mother-in-law, but she did nothing to deserve Boaz's favor. Instead, by his own kindness, he just decides to show her favor and make her one of his own. He's given her value. He's elevated her status. He's taken her from a foreign failure and made her a part of his family. And this is the exact same thing that Jesus does for you and me. 
Jesus takes people who are foreign failures, people who did not know him, like Romans 5 says, we were enemies with God because of our sin. The wages of sin is death, means the things that we have done wrong, we deserve death. But guess what happened? Jesus came to this earth. He lowered his status by becoming man. And he says, you know what? You can't take care of yourself. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. You can't be good enough to have a relationship with God. So I'll take care of that for you. And he did that by going to the cross and dying in your place for your sin so that at that point you could have a relationship with God and your sin could be forgiven. That's what Jesus does when he came to this earth. That's what Boaz did for Ruth. He said, you didn't do anything to deserve my favor. I'll just give it to you. Jesus says, we didn't deserve anything to get God's favor, but he has given that to us because of who he is, not because of who we are. Jesus died for us because of our sin so that we who have no hope in this world could then have hope. It's so countercultural. Our culture says you become and you achieve. You work hard and then you become somebody. Jesus says you can't be anybody. I'm somebody for you. You can't be perfect. I am, so therefore I will be the perfect sacrifice for God so that you can have life after this one. We were enemies with God, but Romans 5, 8 says that God loved us so much that even while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Even while we were enemies with God, this is very countercultural because our culture says, if somebody's your enemy, you put them out of your sight. Jesus says, even while you are sinful, guess what I'll do? I will die in your place when you don't deserve it so that you can have a chance for hope and for life. Praise God for that. That's exactly what Ruth does. Whenever Boaz treats her with kindness, what does it say that she does? She goes and she falls right down on her face. She falls right down on her face and she asks, why, why have you found favor in me, a Moabite? I'm a foreigner. I'm a woman who's a nobody. And yet you have found favor. I have found favor in your side. You have shown me kindness. See, Ruth understood her place. She understood that without, without Boaz, she had no hope. Without Boaz, she had no security. But yet Boaz has given that to her. And God has done the very same thing for us. Starting in verse 14, it says that she sat down and she ate. What does it say? It says she ate until she was satisfied. She ate until she was satisfied. Notice Boaz didn't say, look, you go off and eat by yourself because you're a foreigner. And maybe, just maybe, if you're good enough, I'll give you just enough food, but you'll still be hungry. Boaz doesn't say that. Boaz says, hey, come here. You're a foreigner, you're a Moabite, come eat at my table, and you can have all the food you want until you are satisfied. Jesus is called the bread of life. He does the same thing for us. He accepts us into his family and says, look, you don't have to go off and be by yourself. I will give you everything you need. I will give you the satisfaction, the joy that you're looking for in life through so many other things. The psalmist says of God, he makes me lie down in green pastures, not barren pastures, green ones. He prepares my table. It says my cup overflows. All that was required of Boaz is to make her glean in the corner. But he says, no, 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 come here. Take any of this stuff that you want and take all of it. Sit at my table. Eat until you are satisfied. Some of us need to actually think about this this morning and realize that Matthew 6 says that God will take care of our basic needs. For some of you, you may walk in here this morning and you think, you know, I really don't know where I'm going to be eating tomorrow, what I'm going to be eating tomorrow. 
But yet Matthew 6 says that God will provide those basic needs. Some of you are like, look, that thing that's burdening me down, I don't really know where to turn because of that. Matthew 6 also says that God provides for those. We need to understand Boaz showed Ruth unexpected, unmerited kindness, and God shows the same thing to us. So what happens? She's, she's gone to this field. She's gone to glean. And instead of just gleaning, picking up a few things to go home and, and make maybe one cake of bread for them to eat, Boaz brings her in and says, look, you have water. You have all the stuff that you want. Boaz even tells some of his men, hey, throw out some extra stuff so that she can take it home. So she's walking up to Naomi, and all of a sudden she has enough barley for two weeks. And Naomi looks at her and says, where in the world did you go today? And notice she doesn't say where she went. What does she say? She said, I went to... to, to to the field of Boaz. <clears throat> she doesn't say, hey, I went down to this field and this nice guy happened to be there. No, she goes to the field and Naomi says, where did you go? And she doesn't say where, she says who. She says, I met a guy named Boaz. Same thing that happens to us when we meet Christ. Doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter what music's playing, it doesn't matter what the preacher says, the fact of the matter is something supernatural happens inside of you and the Holy Spirit of God calls you and you have an encounter with the Savior of the world and it doesn't matter when or where, you are just thankful that you have met him. And that's the exact same thing that Ruth does. She says, I met a guy named Boaz. And that sparks Naomi's mind a little bit. She's like, whoa, hang on a second. Because notice our, our, our writer names Boaz in chapter 1, but we don't yet know really who Boaz is. But now that, that sparks something in Naomi's memory, and she's like, actually, he's one, of our, he's one of our relatives. He's one of our redeemers. We'll get into that in the next couple of weeks in this series. But she realizes that Boaz is a redeemer. So um, not only does uh, Boaz provide for Ruth's basic needs, he gives her security, he gives her help, but he gives her hope. Something that nobody else was going to do. He gives her security and he gives her hope. He shows her unexpected kindness that she, she didn't merit, she didn't earn. He just showed that to her and he is outrageously generous toward her. It reminds me of about three, maybe four years ago. <clears throat> we get a call here at the church and... Um, a lady has called, and she's in bad need. Her, um, her husband and her have been without work, and she was living in a motel down in Marion. And um, we go down there. Josh and I go down there, and we, we, we uh, go see her, and she's just distraught. Like, they're living in literally, like, this um, motel room that barely has, a, like, a, like, a double bed. I mean, there's hardly any room. They have a microwave. That's it. And um, we talked to her for about an hour. And she's distraught because her husband, who had had a good job, lost it because of like this disagreement at work. But yet he's got his job back, and he was working that day, but it was like a Monday, and he wasn't going to get paid until the next Monday. So they were going to go a week with no money, no food. He was having to go to work, and he did construction, and I did construction for about five years. And I know you don't want to go and do that and be hungry. You can't. And she was so bothered that she just couldn't even make her husband a sandwich. They had nothing. So we talk to her and counsel with her and, 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 and share the gospel, talk to her about coming to church, how can we help her? And, and she was like, no, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. And she's, she's doing that kind of thing. Well, we finally get done talking to her, and we get in the vehicle. And uh, Josh and Carrie had like a Ford Escape then, like a small SUV. 
And we get in that, and simultaneously, we didn't like one say it and the other one say it. We like at the same time said, we need to go buy our groceries. So it was down, down here in PG. We dropped down to Food Line, and um, we bought some groceries. And like I, I know what construction workers like, you know, honey buns and fudge rounds and that sort of thing. So like, um, you know, we, we, we bought all the stuff. All they had was a microwave. So there was nothing that they could really keep, even in like a fridge. So we tried to buy non-perishables, and we take it back, and we knock on the door. And um, she looks at us kind of funny, like, like I, know, I know preachers are persistent, but, like, that's 10 minutes ago. You know, what's going on here? And we're like, no, no, it's, it's not about that. Come outside. And um, she comes outside, and we open the, like, hatchback of that vehicle, and, like, groceries just start falling out. And this, this lady just falls straight down on her face and is just weeping. She's just weeping because she had no hope. Like, the, the, the owner of the hotel or whatever wouldn't even let them wash their uh, laundry. She had nothing. She had no chance, but yet uh, someone decided to show her kindness when she didn't deserve it. She, 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 there was nothing she had done for us that deserved it, but yet we just wanted to show it. And she falls to her face because she is so grateful that anybody would think about doing that. And that's the same thing that Ruth has done here, and it's the same thing that we need to do. There are uh, some of you in the room this morning that you know Christ, and you have, you have trusted that he has paid for your sin, and you are what, we're called, what we call you're saved. You've trusted that he, uh, his death has paid for your sin, and you trust that he is your Savior, but yet you have lost joy. That one, one time joy that you experienced in knowing Christ, you have lost it this morning because there are so many cares in this world. There are so many things that you face daily that are choking out that joy. But God is saying to you this morning, no. No, I have shown you unexpected, unmerited kindness, and you need to praise me for that. That's what you need to do this morning when we sing in just a moment. Celebrate God's goodness. Celebrate God's providential care in your life. You can look back over your life and see times where you didn't know that you would have something. All of a sudden, God came through. Maybe it's through somebody. Maybe it's, you didn't even know how it was going to happen, but it did. Celebrate that this morning. Celebrate God's grace that when you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And because of that, you have hope. You have peace with God. You have eternal life. But then some of you are sitting in this room this morning, and you have absolutely nothing to celebrate. Nothing. The only thing you have to look forward to is, is, is hopefully something that this world can bring you which will ultimately fail. You sit in here this morning and maybe you have a few good deeds that you've done and if you came before God right now, you could look at God and say, hey, I've got a few good things here but the fact is those few good things are outweighed by a life of sin and a life of failure. You have nothing to celebrate, but you can have something to celebrate this morning. You see the way Boaz showed Ruth unmerited, meaning she didn't gain an unmerited favor, unmerited kindness. God is showing the same thing to you this morning. And it's through the death of his son Christ, who paid for your sin, paid for my sin. And you can be a part of God's family this morning if you will just believe and receive that free gift. So this morning, as we go into a time of worship, uh, before we close, I'd ask if you just close your eyes, uh, bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us.
And if you're sitting in this room this morning and you're like, Adrian, I'm saved and I know that. I know I've given my life to Christ and I've walked with him at some point, but I've lost my joy. I'm going to pray in just a moment that you regain that back. That you celebrate God's goodness. You celebrate his kindness. But you could be sitting in this room this morning and you have never once experienced salvation. You have never once experienced the freedom that is gained through the death of Christ on the cross and how God giving you that provides you peace, provides you joy that only he can give. Maybe you're going through something this morning, you're burdened. This is your opportunity as we're singing in a moment to lay that burden down at the feet of Jesus and say, look, I don't know how you're going to come through, but I sure know I need you too.